This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Hey, welcome to Real Talk, and thanks for making time for us on this Tuesday, April 18th. It's Ryan Jesperson, John Hicks in the house. Hello. How you doing, pal? Courtlow, I think, is the, uh, <laughs> the saying. Today. We're both uh, we're just off a big night at the Edmonton Oilers game here yeah. at Rogers Place right across the street in Edmonton, Alberta. It was a, a hard-fought match and not the result we wanted. Not the but result we wanted after the Oilers were big and bold and uh, yeah. assertive and excellent out of the gates. Mm-hmm. Uh, an Thought early 2 nothing lead and then, uh, and then all for naught yeah. as the LA Kings, uh, a huge road win in game one. 16 of this, seconds uh, <laughs> of the yeah. third they score. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Into overtime and, the, and then there you have it. So the LA Kings up one nothing in that series. But it's playoffs and mm-hmm. there is energy infused downtown. Uh, you were spinning tunes in what they it call the crazy. Moss Pit for anybody it that's not in absolutely. Edmonton. Uh, this is uh, the area just outside. It's like a public gathering yeah. area in the shadows of the towers of yeah. the Stantec Tower and Edmonton Tower, uh, the JW Marriott Hotel just across mm-hmm. the street from the rink. And, and uh, you had a little bit of it like you had like a Freddie Mercury kind of a queen moment going <laughs> on there. It looked pretty amazing. If we watch right here. This was insane. People listening on the podcast, that's what, Johnny? Like 2,000 people? 2,500 about, yeah. 2,500. And they were just singing every word. Love it. Was this uh, before or after the game? This was during. This was was like one of the intermissions right before third period when we thought everything was a lock. Yeah. It looked good. (laughs) Hey, that's why they play the games, as they say. Uh, We had a lot of fun yesterday with Derek Van Deest. If you missed that, it was his his first day on the job yesterday for Mm -hmm. NHL.com. The guy's been uh, covering sports, like traveling with the Oilers, covering the World Cup. He's got some really great gigs over the years. 28 years, he told us in print. And uh, DVD, as they call him, with his first day on the job for NHL.com, joining us in studio yesterday. Loved his take. On the playoffs. If you missed that, you can catch it anywhere you get your podcast today. In just a second, Van Malis Supermanium is going to join us. She's the uh, future of work reporter for the Globe and Mail, covering this story. More than 150,000 federal public servants could go on strike by tomorrow if they don't reach a deal. 150,000 of them, and a whole bunch of them, like 35,000, are working for the. Uh, for Revenue Canada, John. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if this means that people don't have to worry about filing their taxes by the April 30th <laughs> deadline or not. I'm not sure what that's going to mean if they all go on strike. But it's pretty wild. And, and I'm looking forward to putting this out to Real Talkers. And, and when you hear this, when you're listening to the podcast or however you're getting the show, let us know what you think about this. The, the demand, so to speak. I mean, as these negotiations continue, pretty interesting. Uh, the union has been looking for significant wage increases. And, and I don't know. I'm just like the scuttlebutt, the word on the street. Where are people at with this? They, they want to see a wage increase uh, for 4.5% in the first year. They're saying that inflation's a big, you know, b- determining factor here on how they're landing on these numbers. Uh, but they say a, a wage increase, 4.5% in year one, 8% in year two, 8% in year three, which I just, I, I don't know. If I'm on the other side of the table, I don't know what you do with it. I get that everybody wants to get paid, but uh, in this day and age, four and a half, eight and eight, uh, what do they think they are, Johnny? Pro athletes? Uh, but in all <laughs> seriousness, I'd be curious to hear where you're at in your workplace. If you're an employer, uh, what are you doing to navigate these waters around inflation? We see numbers today, updated numbers showing that it's cooling in Canada, still high, relatively speaking, but cooling down to about four and a half percent annually. And that means that some prices are coming down, groceries, gasoline and the like. But still, how are you keeping your employees happy? If, if you're on the employee side, what is your employer doing, if anything, uh, to help you with rising costs. Obviously, households have to stick to budgets, and so how are you doing that? That's a story we're keeping an eye on. Angie Mellon's going to join us in the second half of the show. You've probably seen some of the billboards. They're up this time of year. They go up talking about the bikini body, talking about the hot girl summer, talking about the revenge body, Johnny, mm-hmm. all these billboards. Angie says that they're surrounded with red flags, And we're going to find out exactly why. And and Angie's here to talk about her personal story. Plus, 
I wanted to get into some of the responses. Uh, Charles Adler and I yesterday talking about Pierre Polyev's plan to defund the CBC. That's what he says he's going to do. Uh, he's not the first conservative politician to say that they're going to defund the CBC. It's a popular talking point. You know that. And it was evidenced yesterday when I tweeted about it. I wanted to get into some of the replies to my tweet because it really is. I mean, it's it's honestly uh, well, it was something, uh, to say the very least. And I don't even work at the CBC, and I'm facing fire for just talking about this. But I was actually having a chuckle as I was checking into my Twitter yesterday, so I, I thought I'd share that with you. This episode of Real Talk is presented by our friends at We Know Training. You know, they're the trusted partner to hundreds of organizations that operate in regulated spaces. Is that you? Are we describing where you're at? They work with regulators, associations, nonprofits, and others whose standards are high and training's got to meet complex needs and compliance requirements. When the stakes are high and protecting the public is of utmost importance, you need a training program that's trusted, defensible, and designed specifically for regulators. We Know Trainings has a platform that's designed to uphold rigorous privacy standards. It provides learner verification, completion certificates, digital badges. You get it. High-value training that learners will retain in crucial real-life scenarios. We Know Training helps nonprofits make their vision a reality with accessible training at a reasonable price. You can learn more at weknowtraining.ca. Well, this is a story today. It could be a bigger story tomorrow if 150,000 public servants, federal public servants, go on strike. If they don't strike a deal, if that doesn't happen by 9 p.m. Eastern tonight, Van Mala Supermanium's keeping an eye on this, the future of work reporter for the Globe and Mail. Kind enough to join us this morning. It's nice to see you. Thanks for making time for us. Thanks for having me, Ryan. We always love when we see someone with an impressive setup or a great background. We always like to ask about it out of the gates. For the benefit of those that are listening to this on the podcast, is that a legit uh, front page, the, the man on the moon? Is that seriously from the 60s, what you have framed behind you? Oh, it's not what I have framed. I'm at the Globe and Mail newsroom. It's one okay. of our rooms. But yes, it's a legitimate front page. So very cool. Well, well, thanks for making time for us today. Let's get into this story. How do we get to this point? Almost 150,000 federal public servants could walk out on the job uh, tomorrow. Uh, can you give us some background on how it got to this? Yeah, absolutely. These wage negotiations, so I guess negotiations for a new collective agreement have been going on for a year and a half, believe it or not. And they involve about 150,000 public servants, 35,000 of them are Canada Revenue Agency workers. So, you know, we'll talk about this later, but that's where I think Canadians will see a bit of impact if there's, you know, a strike. And essentially the, the sticking point for the union is two issues, one wages and two remote work language. And on the wage front, essentially what the union is asking for is a 13.5% wage increase over a three-year period. So 4.5% every year. They're arguing that matches inflation and, you know, they're not asking for a dime more and, you know, their workers need to see wage gains that keep up with inflation. As you know, we have been in a quite a severe inflationary period for a while. Now, the government started at about 6.5% overall over three years, but they moved their position yesterday to about 9%. So, and the union has not budged from that. So we're still in a situation where the union calls messy, they said it's a frustrating mood at the bargaining table, and which is why they've set sort of a strike deadline of 9 p.m. Eastern today. I know that you, I don't want to put you in a tough spot. I don't like to put journalists in a tough spot. You say we're, you, you say I'm going to come here. I'm going to be objective. I'm going to report just the facts. Uh, but can, can I bring you into the gray area and ask you what your gut tells you? you? What's, what's, what's your prediction on where this is going to go? But we're, we're talking about, I mean, if, if, if people are watching this or listening to this stream live, we're, we're talking about less than 12 hours from right now. I mean, this is crunch time. It is crunch time. Um, I, I'm, bit hesitant to make a prediction, but I can tell you uh, this. I think that it would be very uh, politically tricky for the liberal government to allow a strike to take place for a number of reasons. A, we are approaching 
tax season deadline, this will cause cause a huge backlog in, you know, people getting their tax returns, a lot of irritation for Canadians. The other departments that would be affected, I mean, we're talking about a lot of workers. So, you know, Service Canada, frontline employees and administrative staff at the back, which would mean your passport processing, you know, will be if you want to renew your passport or apply for a new one, that might be affected. And we do know that these services have already been sort of inefficient after the pandemic and uh, for a a multitude of reasons. Uh, Immigration is the other one, you know, that's a huge immigration backlog of multiple people through the express entry system. I've reported quite a bit on this and a strike will further exacerbate this. So I think it would be quite unpopular to not meet the demands of the union in a way. On the other hand, asking for a 13.5% increase over three years is quite an unprecedented amount if you look at the history of wage asks of unions. And it's only happening because we've seen inflation and unions feel they have a bargaining chip, you know, some sort of leverage to ask for more because prices of goods have gone up. Yeah, no so kidding. I, 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 I'm hesitant to make a prediction one way or the other but my gut feeling is they might reach a deal before 9 p.m otherwise it would be the largest strike in canadian history largest strike in canadian i mean if you think about it they're like 150,000. it's a small city uh across the country going on strike you're right i mean the timing I, I, maybe i'll take my words back when i hear from someone from the union that talks about how stressful this has been and how brutal it's been and they've been working without an agreement and they don't want to get to this point but but you could argue in a way the timing's never been better for people right now that are negotiating wage increases if you're on the government side here if you're negotiating uh, on the other side any way you're sitting there wondering about precedents though as well right and other contracts that are coming up i mean i guarantee you that hundreds of thousands if not millions of canadians are reading your reporting in the globe and mail right now bringing it into their boss and saying look what everybody else is getting right now and that's such a fantastic point in this in the sense of you know wages have gone up for workers over the last one year or so we've seen about a five percent wage gain across the board non-unionized, high-paying private sector workers have seen the biggest wage gains over the last one year. You know, there was a, this is all StatsCan data that I'm quoting from. So, and construction unions in particular have managed, they are private sector unions, but they have managed to negotiate very significant wage gains. And I'm talking about 9% increases in a year kind of thing. So, given the context of where the labor movement is in in the bargaining table, both private and public sector labor unions, I think PSAC, the Public Service Alliance of Canada, feels that they can ask for that much. And what's one thing very interesting about PSAC is that if you trace the history of their negotiations, they have always, for the most part, managed to successfully negotiate inflationary wage increases for their members. So from their perspective, they're not asking for anything untoward. From the government's perspective, oh, you know, do we want to subject Canadians to paying federal workers way more than maybe they would have experienced in their own wage increases? You know, there's like a, there's a political calculation to be made here. Um, But the other point, Ryan, if I could just quickly... The Liberals struck a deal with the NDP until 2025, and the NDP has come out and said if there's a strike and the Liberals, you know, try to table back to work legislation, they will not support it. So it could be tricky if we get into strike zone. How do you get those workers back? What are you going to do? my feeling is they would want to probably avoid getting there. Uh, we're talking to Van Malis, Supermanium, a future of work reporter with the Globe Mail. By the way, I love your job title, the future of work reporter. How long have you, how long have you been on that beat? Because if you think about how work, where we work, how we work, how long we work, why we work, what we work for. I mean, it's, it's, it's evolving um, at a pace Arguably, maybe it has never before. What a fascinating beat to be on for you. 
Yeah, I've been, it's absolutely fascinating. I've been doing it for about two plus years now. What's interesting actually is a lot of my reporting, the underlying sort of, you know, uh, feeling that I've gotten from employees across the country is that their relationship with their jobs has changed because of the pandemic, because they've had time to reflect and they no longer feel, you know, that they have to, their jobs are their entire lives. There are, there's a, there's a sense of work-life balance amongst the workforce that we haven't seen in a while. And in fact, in these negotiations that we're talking about with the federal workers, what the union is also trying to do, which they are not you know they're kind of at odds with the government on is introducing remote work language into collective agreements which is something that we have never seen before so they want their members to be able to grieve a situation where they don't feel they're being fairly accommodated for working from home and it's controversial you know some people will argue well you know you are arguably more productive in the office you know the federal public service is not known for being the most efficient, you know, form of, I, I guess, the most efficient people, people say that. Uh, and I think it's interesting that the, the government has mandated workers, federal workers back in two to three times a week, and they're having negotiations, but the union is pushing back on that saying you cannot arbitrarily do that. We huh. want to say in it. So all of these things are kind of the future of work, you know, we've never seen this these conversations before in the realm of, you know, employment and labor relations. How did the Globe handle it or how is the Globe handling it with you and your colleagues? What, what What's the like through COVID? I'm assuming most of you were working from home. What's the situation now? Yeah, we to be honest, the Globe is a very flexible employer. I come in one to two times a week. I'm here today in the office. Tuesdays are a popular day. We do. I have a team, you know, I have a team meeting, a story idea meeting which is why I'm in, but we have done what most companies have done, which we have a hybrid work policy. So it is not, a, you know, because of the nature of, you would know this, Ryan, a job of a reporter, you're kind of out and about a sure. lot. So there's no hard and fast rule. You have to be sitting at your desk. If you're, say, if I'm working on a feature and I need time to think, I find that it's better for me to work from home. No one pushes back on that. And you know, it's kind of a, it, it, I think it's a situation that works. I do feel the need to be in office sometimes though, because I find that ideas flow more easily when you're in person and talking about it. Totally. I've, I've got a pal. I won't, I won't name the company. Doesn't matter, but he just came in in a senior leadership role. And, and he was telling me that he's, uh, he's, he's being seen in an unpopular light right now because of the stamp he put on their corporate culture right away. He strongly believes that people need to work together in this context. Uh, design and creativity is important in the business that he's in. And he's ordered everybody back to work. And, and he was telling me that that uh, a lot of people are pretty pissed off about it. I'm, I'm curious to see, like, you know, when we talk about residual impacts of COVID and, and like what, what changes or, or, or sort of like societal adjustments, including in the workplace, will stick, like what will still be here 20 years from now. I think the work from home, the flexibility idea, I, 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 I think that for the most part, would you agree as a future of work reporter, we'll never get back to five days a week in the office all the time yeah. for everybody. I don't think it's ever going back to that. Yeah, I, I agree. I completely agree with you. In fact, I'm working on an, an analysis of exactly what you were talking about. Mm. So we've seen a decline in the number of people in Canada who work fully remotely. So five days a week, and we were doing that at the height of the pandemic, and a huge surge in people working hybrid. But we're not seeing we've kind of plateaued now, you know, data wise, where we're seeing the two to three day mark being the norm. No one's really pushing for more than that. Certain companies might be doing it. It's quite unpopular because, you know, we're still in sort of a tight labor market that that jobs, people can move for more flexibility if they want it. And I think employers are aware of that. So I think we've reached sort of a happy medium where people come in two to three times a week. They're not really willing to commute in five times a week. In a city like Toronto, commuting is very, very tough and long and the city is not equipped 
you know, to even deal with the amount of foot traffic it has right now on public transit and, you know, and, and even highways and roads. So I think that's a huge deterrent for people to come in five days a week. So I don't see this really changing even in the next, say, five years or so. Uh, we've got an interesting comment here from Tracy, who's watching us uh, on our YouTube live stream in the chat. Tracy says, let's remember, we're talking now about these public servants uh, 150,000 of them, or at least, uh, you know, a, a good number. Tracy says these are the folks who helped Canadians get through the pandemic. These were the ones that were issuing checks, processing the paperwork, working overtime. Uh, by the way, Tracy says, thankfully, uh, Van Mel is uh, providing the whole picture this morning. So there you go. Kudos on your reporting. But there are optics here to consider. And the Liberal government, as you report in the Globe and Mail, uh, could uh, order these workers back to work it's an option uh but it could be uh, a politically risky move a a absolutely it could and tracy is is very right um basically these were the same public servants who kind of rallied in early 2020 in the spring of 2020 and doled out all of these programs that canadians were dependent on and and i reported on that back when i was at the financial post and you know the speed in which the government came out with programs like CERB and the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy. Sure, these programs have had major flaws in them as well, but they did help. Uh, it was quite remarkable. And all of this stuff was done from home. And I think that's kind of the union talking point here, which which to me has a lot of you know weight to it because they're arguing, look, we rallied from home when we were less equipped to work from home and we had no idea of how to do it, but we got things done. Why is it we can't keep doing that, you know, in a in a sort of a reasonable way where we come in when it is necessary, not just to come in for the sake of sitting at a desk and doing Zoom calls, you know? So yeah, it, it, it is interesting. And on, on the political front, you know, if back to work legislation is invoked, the Liberals will have to rely on the Conservatives and the Bloc Quebecois for support um, because the NDP has kind of clearly said we're not going to vote this through. Yeah. And this Liberal government has been quite outwardly pro-worker. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a tough look, uh, especially when the Liberals, as you report, have committed to passing uh, so-called anti-scab legislation. Anti yeah. uh, not. Uh, not unprecedented, right? A couple of strikes over, over the past few years uh, or past few decades, I should say, 1991, about 70,000 public sector workers go on strike, ultimately ordered back to work uh, by then Prime Minister Brian Mulroney after about three weeks. Uh, and then in 2004 as well, uh, the strike prompting a deal a few days later. So, I mean, I mean, they tend to work. They tend to be effective, you might argue. Uh, absolutely, they do. But, you know, the, the size of the public service has increased over the last little while, especially in the pandemic. They've had to hire a lot of people to to process backlogs, especially in the immigration department and in Service Canada. So the reason actually why this will be the biggest strike is partly due to the fact that the public service has increased in size. And, you know, so you, that that's why you'll see about 155,000 workers potentially walk off the job. Vanmela, before we let you go, thank you so much for your time. I know you've got a story to file today. Uh, we appreciate you yeah. taking time to talk to us. What's one other trend? Uh, again, future of work reporter. I love the beat. I love the job title. What's one other trend you're keeping an eye on? Something that's uh, that you're quite interested in following right now? Uh, the big trend I'm following is artificial intelligence. Mm. Uh, AI, the impact it has had on workers, the change in job functions of workers. I It's a big topic to explore. I wrote a piece recently on how call center jobs are essentially changing dramatically. A lot of them are being wiped out because of, you know, the introduction of AI. So I'm kind of keeping an eye on that from the lens of the impact on the worker, either positive or negative. So, yeah. Fascinating stuff. Have, have you heard that song, uh, Heart on My Sleeve by Ghostwriter? Have you heard about this? You've been following this no, story? No, I haven't. So it's this guy used AI, uh, got AI to put together a song 
sampling oh, Drake this, yes. and The Weeknd. It's unbelievable. It's blowing oh, my mind. Oh, I did mind. hear about this, right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> We've got to get a music industry person on to talk about the future of music Absolutely. and how AI is disrupting that. Hey, keep up the great work. We've been following your writing Thank for you. a long time. Uh, Van Mal is Supermanium. You can uh, read her work in the Globe and Mail at theglobemail.com and give her a follow on Twitter as well. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, you got it. Uh, again, theglobeandmail.com. Johnny, did, have you heard that tune? Have you heard this one, this Ghostwriter tune, Heart on My Sleeve? Oh, this is the one you were talking yeah, about Yeah, I was yesterday. talking to you about this yeah. yesterday. So a buddy of mine put this on my radar. Um, this is somebody just, like, it's it's not the act. We can't play it because it'll trigger all the copyright course, stuff, yeah. and, <laughs> which is actually kind of ironic if you think about it uh, because kind of the whole argument is that Drake and The Weeknd have nothing to do with this, mm-hmm. uh, this tune. So I don't know who has the copyright claim, but you get to, I mean, like, you can start using AI. What if, you know, Tom Petty, may he rest in peace? Are we going to have new Tom Petty tunes? Yeah. It, it's so it's so intelligent, too. I was talking to another DJ. There was about four DJs last night inside Roger's Place playing in different areas. And one of them said, I wanted to promo that I was at this event, but I didn't have time. Like, I've been so busy this mm-hmm. week. I went into ChatGPT and I said, here's the event. Here's the details. Yeah. Tell everyone they're excited or i'm excited to see them etc and hit enter yeah and in two minutes he had a social media post and then he told them to he told chat to like can you make this different for like four different sure social media apps and it made three or four different versions of it for and all he did was add his name and press send yeah. on it's, it's amazing just, it's crazy a yeah. friend of mine was telling me just the other day had a had a he, re- he reads a lot of contracts in his line of work but this one contract he was sifting through had, had some sort of like it was real legalese mm-hmm. and he's not a lawyer and he's trying to read this contract and he was just kind of struggling with it a little bit, like just kind of was having a hard time understanding it in layperson's terms, punches it into chat GPT, yeah. gives it the instruction to basically dumb it down. And it did. Mm-hmm. And it tr- sort of like translated it into into, you know, like language that we would use on the street, like that the everyday person could understand. I'd be curious to hear from real talkers. How are you using AI in? in your line of work or, or, or maybe just, you know, to complement your lifestyle or help you better, better understand something. Uh, it's, we are just, I mean, this is the most obvious thing I'm going to say all week. We are just starting to understand the implications of, of what this is going to look like. It's going to be fascinating. The one thing I'm worried about though, is this mean like, you know, in 20 years, everyone's going to be stupid because you know what I mean? Chat's going to be doing everything for us. Well, like we, we're still going to need doctors and lawyers and you know what I mean? And I feel like a lot of people, the main thing people are concerned about is, is students obviously cheating on essays, yeah. exams and, you know, so. I'm but just, we've been wondering about this for a long time, even even with, uh, you know, like if you think when you're texting and text messaging and the setting will like finish the word for you, you can, you know, sort of like swipe your thumb right to finish mm-hmm. the sentence and mm-hmm. it just finishes the sentence and and there's autocorrect for spelling and people are going, well, is, are, are kids even going to know how to spell anymore? Yeah. I don't know. What about handwriting? Like, nobody yeah. can handwrite anymore, but then do, do you need to? Right? Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Let us know what you think. Kathy says they've got a program at work that uses AI to write and voice commercials, and now it can compose royalty-free music to go along with it. Right? Yeesh. Tracy says, my fear is AI may be the game changer that creates mass unemployment and mass profits for those who master it. Meantime, Cadmus Rex says AI is going to take over, so don't let it. Who asked for this? That's like rise of the robots. You know what I mean? Who let it happen in the first place? Uh, coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to talk to Angie Mellon in studio. Why the hot girl summer billboards are a real problem. Can you load up that California Closets video for me, Johnny? Mm-hmm. I had a chance to visit a home. Uh, some friends just the other day, they're real talkers, Dustin and Amy, and they had reached out to California Closets. They heard about them on Real Talk. They had a bit of a dilemma. Beautiful brand new home, and they have this front room, not quite big enough for a bedroom. Plus, they didn't want to bedroom right when you walk into the house and so they thought that a murphy bed might be a great solution okay wait dustin what's going on we're just gonna lower down the bed here and you're not you're not taking the stuff off the shelf nothing nothing. what oh wow Wow. so check that out that is so cool isn't that amazing amazing. it's this beautiful look at it go back up the murphy bed goes back up into the wall and then the shelves are still there they don't have to dismantle anything. Amy's loving it. Wow! Look at this. Their daughter, Georgia, helping them with the interior design there. Just beautifully done. That's crazy. So for people who can't see, like, there's a computer, there's a a flower pot, there's all sorts of stuff 
that's on top like it's not glued down but on when you shelves. pull down the bed yeah everything just goes under the bed like automatically so cool it's so cool it doesn't even dump the flower pot how so neat is cool. that because you know it's one thing if you have the shelving unit you got to take it all down when yeah. the company comes over this one takes five seconds uh and by the way they told us installation took one day and it was three grand less then a quote from a competing closet company. So there you go. CaliforniaClosets.ca is where you can learn more. Don't forget California Closets, of course, proudly presenting our live streaming Mixler audio app, which sure uh, is a great way to catch Real Talk on the go if you want to stream the audio live in your car or during your morning commute or what have you. Also had a chance to check in with our friends at Apex Automation the other day, and they reminded me that they're hiring right now. I said, well, who do you want me to reach out to in particular? They said, well, obviously, professional engineers, uh, you know, technicians, people interested in the future of automation. You talk about AI. That's going to be big in this line of work as well. Autonomous vehicles also in mining, in energy resources, in agriculture, you name it. They're in that industry. But they also said, put the call out to recent university grads. If you're an engineering student, you're getting ready to graduate University of Alberta, University of Calgary. Uh, maybe other engineering schools across the country. Check out apexautomation.ca today. They're hiring. They're putting people ahead of profits. This could be the best move you make all year. Also wanted to give a big shout out to our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. What can I tell you that would mean more than this is what we feed our furry family members? That's right. Moses and Monroe love their quality raw food from Grand Dog Essentials. And it's not just dogs either. If you check out the website, you'll find what they have for cats as well. Uh, now, cats' diets obviously different than dogs, and so you can learn the basics uh, for a raw diet for cats as well as a how-to guide on the transition. The blog link is a great resource for questions you may have on high-quality proteins for dogs and cats. And don't forget the promo code REALTALK knocks 10% off your first-time order delivered to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta. That's granddog.ca. Our friends at Kubi Energy also hiring. This is the busiest time of year for them as they head into the spring. They're going to be up on rooftops across Western Canada, and they want to make sure that if you're looking for work, if you're a skilled installer, if you have your ticket, if you're an apprentice, if you're looking maybe to broaden your horizons in the field of green energy, you can check out their website at kubienergy.ca. Also follow them on social media. Their Instagram's a great resource at Kubi Energy to see some of the projects they're working on. Johnny's showing them to us right now. Beautiful stuff. The most skilled installers, of course, all of them Tesla certified. You'll find them online today at kubienergy.ca. And we want to give a big shout out as well to the team that built this studio Literally, we're so grateful for the team at Complete Care Restoration. You can find them online. Uh, their website, a great resource. If you find yourself in one of these nightmare scenarios, I was talking to Kelly. He's one of the company's founders, and he says, honestly, Jespo, he says, we're going to be your only sponsor. Uh, hopefully, the Real Talkers never call. But if you do have that sort of a gut check moment, you know what I'm talking about. You head down to the basement to change the laundry, and all of a sudden, the, the water is ankle deep. You know what I'm talking about. Spring floods. Tis the season, my friends. Or maybe the nightmare of fire damage, mold, asbestos. They do it, and they do it the best in the business. Chances are your insurance policy lets you choose who completes the work. When you need restoration services, make it complete care restoration. Our next guest I've known for quite some time. We've we've worked together. We've been pals, uh, but she's here uh, in the context of a new role, uh, executive director, interim executive director. Um, we're talking about eating disorders or disordered eating. Angie Mellon, it's a pleasure to welcome you here. Thanks for making time for us. Welcome to the Real Talk Studio. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no kidding. This is uh, this is kind of a, a neat moment for us. You you uh, had this you know you've had this career in storytelling yes. uh, for a long time. You and I running parallel, and um, and, and can I get personal right? out of yes, the gate uh, for the first number of years that you and I were hanging out and working alongside one another I I, I had no idea about some of the personal strife yeah. uh, some of the stuff that you were wrestling with but over the years you've started to really tell your story yes. out loud yeah. uh, displaying a great deal of courage and I've got a ton of respect for you can you bring our audience up to speed on on your personal journey in yeah. this context 
Yeah. So um, my journey with my mental health started when I was in my teens, as most people do. I was diagnosed with an eating disorder when I was 16 and I was in and out of hospital at the University of Alberta. And I really struggled with my depression, my anxiety. I struggled with suicidal ideation and suicidal behaviors and actions. So it was a really struggle for quite some time um, and going through that, but it definitely gave me perspective and really thoughts on how to move forward with this. So so 16 years of age at the time you say you're diagnosed uh, with an eating disorder. So you had, you had obviously been been willing to sort of participate in a consultation or to meet with the physician. Uh, What, what was it at that point that, that prompted either yourself or people that cared about you to encourage you to, to seek that expert opinion? So I was in the soccer academy at high school and I, um, my soccer coach actually started noticing a lot of big changes in my performance and she um I fainted a couple times at school and she brought it up to my mom she was like I've noticed some big changes I really think you should bring it to a doctor and at this point we had no idea like what was going on like we didn't think it was an issue we just thought this was something that I was going through and then when I talked to my doctor about kind of my eating patterns, my exercise habits, uh, my thoughts and behaviors around those issues, he was like, no, there is a problem here. And he automatically referred me to the University of Alberta Eating Disorder Program to a lovely doctor, Dr. Pictel, and he automatically got me into the program. And without their support, I honestly would not be here. When you're looking back on those years of your life, I mean, do do, do you look back pre-16, like with looking back with the benefit of hindsight, are you yes. able to think of thoughts that you were having as a six or eight or a 10 or a 12 year old? Oh yeah. I remember going on a diet when I was six years old. I remember wow. watching my calories when I was super young. I remember doing all that stuff. I remember waking up at five in the morning when I was 10 AM so I could go on walks to try and lose weight. So those are all things that like played into it. But at the time, those are such normalized behaviors. There's, so caught up in society that people think it's like an okay thing to do. They think it's normal. They think it's part of growing up. So no one really catches those behaviors. And so um, it really just escalated to a point that it wasn't manageable anymore. Mm. And so you did get to a point, like like, like you mentioned, you, t- you talk about, uh, we, we've had some really heavy and meaningful yes. and important conversations on this show recently, uh, in particular about suicide. Yeah. And the fact that we really, as a society, don't talk about it, no. despite the fact that 12 can it's estimated that 12 Canadians every day yeah um die by suicide your social media um has been an open book yeah and uh and there's not a lot of people that I see that are willing to talk as openly as you do about their personal struggles yeah how did you get to that point and and can I ask you to comment on what I've seen which is like an incredible army of supporters yes. um around you did, did yeah. were you always uh, the type of person that was willing to, to 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 share your deepest stuff. To be honest, I'm actually uh, typically a very private person. I don't like asking for help. I don't like reaching out. But I noticed going through what I've been through that that is detrimental to me. That really harms me. And so I found when I'm reaching out for help, when I'm talking to people, when I'm asking for support, that's when things get better for me. That's when things improve. So Mm. that's why I noticed that when I'm more open with people, then I can have those conversations and things can start to get better. So when I'm being open on social media, I'm doing it so those conversations can happen. And I'm also hoping by being open that when other people see it, they know that they're not alone. They're totally. they're like, okay, this doesn't just happen to me. Someone else is thinking this. I'm not crazy. Like this happens. So like, I'm hoping that people see this and they're be able to be like, okay, I can reach out to Angie and she'll, she, she understands, like she gets it. So yeah. I hope people get that from me You've as well. you walked miles in the shoes. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's big for a lot of people. So how did the Eating Disorder Support Network of Alberta get on your radar? Yeah, so I... Um, I actually heard of them when I started at Nate going through the radio and television broadcasting program. I did a little story on them. Really? And I got so like interested by the organization. And after my reporting career, I was I saw this opportunity come open with them. And I was like, I want to give back to this community that's supported me and given me so much throughout my life. So I saw the opportunity and I 
applied and we had this great conversation and yeah ever since then it's been about two years that i've been with them and it's been amazing when we talk about disordered eating yes uh, that could be like a thousand different oh, things yes, couldn't yes. it yeah so disordered eating can range from like little things like there could be little habits like maybe saying i'm gonna be bad and have dessert that can be a disordered thought that that can be a little bit of a disordered thought or maybe um thinking that you have to reduce your calories because you're not exercising a whole lot or you're not moving a whole lot that day. That's a disordered sort of thought, disordered sort of belief. So those are the kind of things that like everyone has. Everyone has, like it happens to everyone. You're going to have some sort of thoughts. So we really want to start to challenge those beliefs and start to challenge those thoughts. Yeah, I mean, you could have, I mean, there, yeah, so many different, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, some, some one person's disordered eating could be, you know, like crushing food yes. at three in the morning. Exactly. You know, whereas another person's disordered eating might be not eating for three days in a row. Exactly. Right? It can be completely different depending on the person. Like you could have people who maybe struggle with binge eating and they can't control their eating. They feel like they're blacking out. But you can also have people who just can't get to the point where they can allow themselves to eat. So you have like that whole range of experiences from people. What role do you think that COVID has played in all of this and how people are feeling about their bodies and their habits and, and, and just like everything. So we saw a huge increase in eating disorder hospitalizations, uh, with COVID. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the isolation factor because people are so alone. And then there was also, I don't know if you remember, but during COVID there was that whole lose the COVID-15 yeah. and like there was all those ads about trying to like get on the weight loss journey or like this is the time to like get back into the fitness world and you know so that all compounded it and then people were so online you could see everything happening in social media and you had the explosion of TikToks and what I eat in a days and the all the body checking and that sort of stuff. So it all sort of compounded with COVID. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. You're, you're, you and the organization, I'm saying you, yes. obviously it's, it's your entire team is focusing yeah. a lot on athletes yes. and people involved in athletics and, yeah. and the statistics that you've shared with me are, are, are striking. Yeah. Uh, it's estimated 45% of female athletes, like nearly half, uh, and about one in five male athletes, 19% struggle with an eating disorder. Yes, exactly. Uh, how, how is that? on the radar i mean can you give us some some insight into into why this is a top priority for the for the organization we're going to talk about your event coming up in just a minute yeah so eating disorders in the fitness industry is such a complex issue we really wanted to offer a a complex look at it because Fitness is seen as such a great thing to do, and it is, and it can be, but it can also be really detrimental to people if they're not going about it in the right way, if they're not approaching it in the right way. So the fitness industry can like be really helpful, but it can also be really hurtful to people who are not in the greatest mindset. So you're, you have billboards in your sites. Yes. <laughs> we know, we know that advertising <laughs> yes. works, advertising's effective yes. and, and, and billboards have this way of just like staring us down yeah. don't they? when there's a message that resonates. Um, and, and we're talking about like hot girl summer, yes. bikini bodies, yes. revenge bodies. Yes. Uh, what's the bone to pick with this type of marketing? I would just like to say that people should not have to change their body, their shape, their size to fit into someone else's standards of what beauty looks like. I feel like one, you can have health at every size you can health is multifaceted, multidimensional, multifactored. So you can have health and be in any shape or size body. So layering down fitness into thinness is not what we need to do. So we really want to relook at that conversation. Do you see attitudes changing or evolving in the fitness industry? We definitely do. Um, it's, it's double layered. So we see, we see people recognizing that this is an issue, but we also see people capitalizing on it sure. because I mean, you can make money off of people's insecurities. Huge money. Right? So, I mean, the I believe the weight loss industry, the global weight loss industry was projected to reach over $200 billion at, by the end of last I'm year. I'm not surprised at all. So, I mean, there's huge money to be made there, but that's not the reason to do it. Like, we need to be looking out for people's best interests before the financial gain. Uh, do you and your colleagues end up talking a lot to either, like, 
kids, tweens, and teens, or the parents and guardians of them? Like, when, when, when do these conversations need to start in your mind? So we don't directly talk to any uh, anybody under You're the more age advocacy. of 18. Okay. Yes, but we do talk to a lot of parents and stuff like that, and we definitely help people when they start to notice issues. A lot of parents come to us and be like, what's my first step? Where do I go? Who do I talk to about this? So we are really great for helping people navigate this system because we know it's confusing. It's complex. It's hard to deal with. So we are really a great first step for people who just need to know what to what next to do. Okay. Uh, you've got an event coming up. Yes. Uh, this is coming up uh, May 6th and 7th. People can check it out online, yes. which is great. So wherever they are or in person at the Van Vliet Center in Edmonton again, May 6th or 7th, uh, eating disorders in the fitness industry. Yes. Who's this for? What's the pitch? Yes. So any sort of fitness professional is welcome to join. So yoga instructors, spin instructors. I mean, if you coach you soccer, that it'd be a great course for you. So it's really open to anyone who's involved in any aspect of the fitness industry. And we really want to have this dialogue and this discussion about how we can best support athletes and people in the fitness environment so that they're getting what they need from fitness in a great way, in a way that benefits them, in a way that's not going to be detrimental to their mental or to their physical health. Yeah. Okay, but real talk, do you, how, how, how much stigma are you going to have to fight through for this? Like, you know, there's going to be a lot of people, you know, honestly, in the fitness industry, they're going to go, oh, give me a break. Honestly, it. I know there's going to be pushback. I get yeah. pushback all the time. I hear, I know people when I say, I know when I say there's health at every size, people are like, that's not true. And I get that. But I want to be able to have that conversation where we can like talk about it and really get to the understanding of what health means and what your definition of health is and how we can like see where we can come to an understanding on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I mean, gosh, I'm not the expert on this, but I've had enough of these conversations in interviews like this to, to have heard stories from people that have been living the most unhealthy lifestyle yeah. to appear to be healthy exactly, exactly. and uh, some of the and i won't even call them sacrifices but some of the the dramatic or drastic measures and steps that people take you can't i mean you couldn't argue that that would be healthy in any way shape or form no exactly yeah. it takes it to that whole nother level where it's an obsession with healthy or clean or pure eating, but it's actually detrimental to yeah. the person. You know, our, our audience, uh, we've, we've got, a, we've got a, yes. a, a, an engaged listening audience, and uh, my heart is always full when we hear from younger real talkers. I'm yeah. talking about the teenagers, the high school students, the university students. What would you say to the, what, what would, what would grown-up Angie say to the 16-year-old that hears this interview right now, and this is resonating with him or her, this is resonating with them, they're starting to struggle, they know between their two ears what's going on yeah. within their own thoughts. What's your message to that person? Um, my big message is that there is support and help out there. Um, wherever you are in the journey, wherever you are, we can meet you where you're at. And I want you to know you're not alone. There's people out there that are behind you. We're behind you. We support you. And so I want people to know that just remember that you have a team with you. You have people with you and it does get better. I know that's such a cliche, but like it does. It does get better. You're proof of it. <laughs> My friend, I'm really proud of you. Thank you yeah, thank you. and, and uh, the work you're doing right now, I know that it's personal for you, it and really I know you is. care about it a great yeah. deal. I can see it in your eyes as I talk to you. I'm grateful to have you here in studio. Thank you. It's so nice to reconnect. Yes. We walked in the same hallways for a long <laughs> yes. time, and I watched you coming up in TV. Uh, eating disorders in the fitness industry, May 6th or 7th. Uh, if you're listening, uh, if you're watching this live, uh, we've just shared the link in the chat. Uh, it's 200 bucks, but you said there's some financial assistance available for people that might have that as a barrier too. Oh yeah, we never want finances to be a barrier to anything we're offering so if it is an issue send me an email send me a message on instagram i will help you out we will get you a discount code we will make it you're work. the best angie i love it and if you're listening to this or watching later uh check out the show notes for the podcast or on youtube and we'll have the link there it's really good to see you thanks Thank for you so making much. time for us Thank you. you got it that's angie mellon uh she's interim we're gonna drop that interim tag soon i know it executive director for the eating disorder support network of alberta uh this conversation was presented by Real Talk sponsors like Park Power uh, they know right now this time of year they know you know we're talking about you know people uh, you know trying to negotiate raises we're talking about inflation we're talking about family budgets you want to find a way to keep some money in your pocket like 
right now. Go to parkpower.ca if you're living in the province of Alberta and, you know, you need electricity, natural gas, or internet. In other words, everybody. Uh, you can compare rates today online. It takes two seconds, and it takes literally less than five minutes to bring your business over to Park Power. Don't forget the promo code REALTALK23 is a bundling promo code, so it saves 50 bucks off your first bill for every service you go with. You're not getting that deal anywhere else except for Park Power. Also, a big shout out to our friends at Friesen Brothers in 16 different Alberta communities. I want to draw your attention today to their flyer resource at Friesen.com. You can check it out online. That's F-R-E-S-O-N, the Family Essentials Flyer. We love this. It's a great resource to track down quality food ideas for low prices every day. You can view the flyer online and it comes with some great meal suggestions like one pan to feed them all. There's an amazing looking scramble right there featuring lean ground Alberta beef. Uh, Friesen Brothers is proudly Alberta grown and Alberta owned in 16 different Alberta communities including right here in Edmonton. Johnny, they got a big birthday coming up. The the Stony Plain, Fort Saskatchewan, and Edmonton yeah. stores have big birthday celebrations Ooh. coming up. So shout out to our friends at Friesen Brothers. Also wanted to make sure that we mention Eden Landscaping today. I was telling you, our family is on the journey right now working with Mike and Andrea and their team of designers. We just, Johnny, got our 3D renderings mm-hmm. for the yard, and I'm going to be able to share these soon, and, and nice. then ultimately we'll show the, the after pictures. You know what I'm nervous about showing the before and afters? Is when I show the before pictures to real talkers, they're going to be like, that was your yard? <laughs> that was your I've seen it, though. It's yard. not that bad. Man, it's it looks like bad. people are practicing with dirt bikes in the back. There's like <laughs> entire patches of lawn just gone. That's what happens when you have dogs and a trampoline. But you know what? The design is a common... Dogs aren't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Trampoline's not going anywhere. But the design that they put together for us is functional. It works for our budget. Dealing with them has been a total dream as they bring our outdoor space to life, and they would love to do the same for yours as well. We showed the renderings to friends of ours. They've already got a request in for a quote from Eden Landscaping. That's landscapeedmonton.ca. What did you make of the blowback? Were you paying attention to the blowback from our uh, defund the CBC conversation I yesterday saw with that, Charles yeah. Adler? We threw up some social media posts, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, the, the crowd is getting... Wild. Yeah, yeah, so you know, you, you've got folks that find value in what the national broadcaster brings to the table, and mm-hmm. then you've got folks that just have absolutely no use for it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And and if I can say, if I can generalize, if I can speak on behalf of hundreds of thousands of people <laughs> here, it tends to me, based Please on do. my powers of observation, yeah. uh, to come down to the politics of it. Of course. You know, people believe that that the, the CBC is an arm of the, the uh, Justin Trudeau liberal government, and they believe that this is a uh, essentially a, a state-sponsored or government-sponsored media outlet that's carrying water for the federal mm-hmm. liberal party, uh, that's heavily critical on just the conservatives, and that was kind of the vibe that I was getting yesterday. Uh, I, I did want to point one thing out right off the bat, and that that is just, you know, again, if, if you go to cbc.ca today, you can uh, check out a, a story that they have just broken there. This is on, uh, uh, have you seen this? The Trudeau family that was vacationing in Jamaica, and they say that security uh, for the prime minister's uh, detail and for his family cost taxpayers about $160,000. Oh, it, it's a t- Now, the trip was approved by the ethics commissioner. Well, then what's the problem? Well, well I mean, optics, man, <laughs> optics. Yeah. But, but, but I just wanted to point that out today. You will find a, you will find news coverage of this story about the Trudeau family uh, vacationing with wealthy friends who do, donated to the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation, uh, whose entire board resigned last week, by the way. Kind of an interesting story we're keeping an eye on with the Trudeau Foundation. But this was on cbc.ca today. So, so, so that's an interesting point to be made. I saw Max Fawcett who joined us just a few days ago tweeting this morning about this story. He says, is Trudeau trying to lose the next election? Love the Foss. <laughs> Max was Ed. great. So I wanted to get to some of your comments because we don't just read the flattering ones here on Real Talk. We don't just want to read emails that talk about how great the show is, how much you love it. We also want to make sure that, well, the critics have a platform as well. And so I thought it might be kind of fun to read through some of my Twitter replies. Uh, Yesterday, I said, in a way, the CBC is Real Talk's biggest competitor. Mm -hmm. I mean, in a way, it is. Uh, I'd love its budget, its resources, its reach. 
I said, but I still do see a ton of value in Canada's national broadcaster. I said, don't be manipulated by this defund the CBC nonsense. And Charles Adler and I got into it. You can check out our show from yesterday if you want to hear his take on it. He invokes uh, the Canadian military, kind of an interesting yeah. point made by Charles there. Well, And I kind of get that point when he was saying like, because somebody commented on one of our TikToks yesterday and said, well, the government does run the military. They make all the decisions. They tell them what to do, which is kind of true, but not to the extent that people are making it. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. He, he wonders, is, is because this is government funded, mm -hmm. uh, is, is, you know, is the military government funded? And if so, is it Justin Trudeau's personal militia, mm -hmm. right? Um, Steve D chimes in and says, we need to pull the plug entirely on the CBC. I always want to, if, if I thought that we could have a good conversation on this, and I'm inviting it, I want to. If you mm -hmm. want to send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com, we'd love it. Something we never do. I always want to let people know as well. You can shoot a video to us. If you want to shoot like yeah. a selfie style video, We'd love to share. you want to make your comment on video, just send it to us on Twitter. Uh, use the hashtag RealTalkRJ or send it directly to our account. We'd love to include video feedback. Uh, treat them just like letters or emails as well. Uh, why do you believe that you should just pull the plug on the CBC? Is, is it that y y you hated Shit's Creek? Is it that, you, <laughs> is it that you, you can't stand Ian Hanna-Mansing? I doubt it. Uh, is, is, it that, is it a cost-cutting measure? Is it about just the politics of it? Do you see no value in regional news coverage, in steady news coverage that is not determined, like we said, by hedge fund-owned corporate media assets? Uh, so Steve says it's time to pull the plug on it. West 1010 says defund the CBC. It's a joke like the BBC. I don't think the BBC is really perceived to be a joke internationally. Uh, Uncle Moses says there are many rational reasons to not trust the media and its highly selective process in deciding who, what, or why to hold some entities accountable but not others. Uncle Moses says the conflicts of interest are so obvious now that it has led to an all-time low in public trust. Mm -hmm. Now, Uncle Moses is on to something. And if you look at polling on professions that have lost public trust mm -hmm. over the past number of years, journalists and media are among the highest. In other words, uh, they have lost the most trust in the public. And we've had some great conversations here on the show in the past six months on how the media can regain that trust back. Mongo8899 <laughs> says that uh, whose profile picture looks strangely like the prime minister uh, says we should give rebel media, give Ezra Levant $1.4 billion per year. That would be fair. Uh, the account one term notly believes that my position on the CBC is exactly why 630 Ched fired me. Fair enough. The devil's advocate says the public doesn't want to be funding the propaganda that's being fed to them by the CBC. Someone like George Soros can pay for it and token wonders if and when the cbc is defunded how much of a subscription fee would you be willing to pay interesting question yeah cbc put out the, that uh, statement too i think this is the one right where they said yeah basically they say twitter's own policy this was after they were labeled as government yes. funded media mm -hmm. uh, they say the policy is where the government may have varying degrees of government involvement over editorial content which is clearly not the case mm -hmm. with the CBC. That's their position on it. Uh, did you see? So, so Elon Musk. So uh, Pierre Polyev uh, reaches out to the American the billionaire yeah. uh, to 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 essentially erode confidence in or support for this is it, it's a ploy. Obviously, it's a publicity stunt, and it's working for Polyev. But he lobbies uh, Twitter to label the CBC's Twitter account as government-funded media. So they did it. The CBC pushes back and says we're 70% funded, mm -hmm. you know, tax-funded. Uh, they wouldn't prefer that phrase, but that's a fact. And do you see what Twitter does today? So now their profile says they are 69% government-funded <laughs> media. It's yeah. like this whole thing now. Twitter has been turned into, like, uh, basically poop jokes and oh. fart jokes. And this is what $44 billion gets you. It is a circus. Uh, let us know what you think about all of this. We're always curious. And, and maybe your, your position on this is a good fit for trash talk. Uh, of course, you know that's coming up Fridays on the show. This is your chance to just blow off a little steam. It's presented every Friday right here on the show by our friends at Local Environmental Services. You want to figure out more about who is local? If you're a business owner, a restaurant owner, maybe you have a retail location somewhere and, and you're going, well, I, well, obviously where we spend our money is important and how much money we're spending is important and core values matter to you. 
and you want to know more about who you're doing business with, who you're partnering with, and what drives their philosophy, you can check it out online right now at localenvironmental.ca. If you're an entrepreneur or a decision maker, uh, perhaps you're deciding on behalf of entire communities across Alberta or Saskatchewan, things like garbage, recycling, uh, things like water hauling, fencing, portable toilets, you name it, local does it. And you can find out more, including how deserve uh, communities deserve better and are getting better at localenvironmental.ca. I also wanted to sound the alarm here, and you can check this out on Instagram at instagram.com slash Dairy Queen Baseline. This is a sort of an all-point bulletin. This is a major announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, the churro-dipped cone is now available at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Yeah, that's right. It's a churro-flavored cone. Uh, the coating is topped with cinnamon sugar. Unbelievable stuff. Check this out. I'm showing it to you if you're watching on YouTube right now. It's all over this world-famous Dairy Queen soft serve. We shared the detail yesterday. We had permission from the top, permission from the tower to let you know that the Dairy Queen and Baseline Road in Sherwood Park, number one in sales in Canada wow. for soft serve. I know. Number one in the country for soft serve sales. Nobody does it better than Dairy Queen Baseline. You'll also find him in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, and Westmount, the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Boy, I'm looking forward to tomorrow's show. Ladies and gentlemen, spread the word. They are political enemies and they're drinking buddies too. Yeah, that's right. The friendship, the relationship is legendary. Both of them out of politics now, and I'm expecting a no-holds-barred analysis of what's happening across the Alberta political landscape. Coming up on Wednesday's Real Talk, we're going to check in with former Deputy Premier Thomas Lukasik and former NDP leader Brian Mason. They used to have their swords out in the legislature swinging at one another And then they'd go break bread after. Nobody knew about the friendship, but they proved it's possible. And we're going to find out if they think it can still be possible. That's coming up on tomorrow's Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.